Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories from the Old West. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, the personal story of Rain in the Face by W. Kent Thomas. A dramatic account from one of the Indians who was actually at the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Note. It is rare indeed to get the Indian side of a story in so clear, so connected, and so dramatic a form as is the following account of the Battle of the Little Bighorn from one who played a great part in it and in the events that led up to it. This is a unique document in our records, and is inserted here by kind permission of Mr. Thomas. It originally appeared in Outdoor Life, Volume 11, Number 3, in March 1903. Its accuracy and fidelity to fact are so attested as to be beyond question. The writer saw much of the Custer Indians at the World's Fair and afterward at Coney Island, and had a good chance to know some of them well. The following leaves from a diary kept at that time shows how the Indians regarded the Custer Vite. They considered that the white men were simply outgeneraled by Sitting Bull. Coney Island, New York, August 12, 1894. Rain in the Face. In Indian language, Etio Magaju. Hobbled into the tent tonight as McFadden and I were discussing the events of the day, and seating himself, unbidden, with true Indian stoicism, he grunted out that one word of all words so dear to a Lakota, Minnewakan, which literally translated means water of God, but which by usage has been interpreted as fire water. Since the other Indians were all away from camp on a visit to their friends, the Oglalas at Buffalo Bill's camp, I decided to yield for once to Rain's oft-repeated demand, which had been hitherto as regularly denied. He took my flask and with a guttural howl, drained it at one gulp without straining a muscle of his face. Good, like Rain's heart, he remarked, as he handed the empty bottle to Mac with a self-satisfied look. Then after a long pause, he joined in our hearty laughter and added, We chasa chestchina, little man, as he always called me, good, bodozasha, meaning redbeard, which was his name for McFadden. Good. Minnewakan good. All heap good. Something's come over the old man, laughed Mac. His heart's good tonight. Suppose we take advantage of it, as the boys are all over at the Oglala teepees, and get rain to turn his heart inside out. Here, give me my hat, and I'll get the flask refilled and bring back Harry with me to interpret. Off he went like a shot, leaving me to entertain rain in the face as best I could with my small knowledge of the Sioux lingo and signs. McFadden soon returned, bringing Harry McLaughlin, our interpreter. It didn't take long to get rain started. After he had another pull at the flask, he said, If you want a story, I will tell you a true one. It's about myself. I was a bad man and dangerous to fool with before I had to walk with crutches. My heart's good now, but it was all the time bad when I was a fighter and a hunter. The maidens admired me, but the bucks were afraid of me. I would rather fight than eat. The longswords, meaning soldiers, trembled when they knew I was near, and the rees and crows always felt of their hair every morning to see if their scalps were still on when rain in the face was nearby. Here Harry headed him off, for it's natural for an Indian to boast, and if anyone will listen, he'll sing his own praises for hours at a stretch. Yes, we know you were a bad man and a fighter from way back, said Harry. "'but we want to hear about the time Tom Custer made you take water. "'If you were such a brave man, "'how did it happen that a little man like Tom Custer got the best of you?' "'This had the desired effect, "'and Rain in the Face winced under such a reflection on his bravery, "'for he measured forty-six inches around his chest, "'stood five feet nine inches, 
and weighed about 195 pounds at that time, while Captain Tom Custer was under the average weight and height. With great deliberation and much gesticulation, Rain told his version of the incident in question, and much to our surprise, he continued on and related his version of the Custer Massacre. Now since nearly all the officers in the regular army, as well as all the agents of the Interior Department, have failed to get him even to speak of this fight, their trying, coaxing, and threatening for years has all been in vain. And since Rain gets the credit of being the slayer of Custer, and has been immortalized in verse by Longfellow, it was a pleasant surprise to have this unexpected revelation. I'm writing it down as nearly like McLaughlin interpreted it as I can. Two years before the big fight, he said, Gaul and Sitting Bull had their camp at Standing Rock. All were hostiles. They were Unk Papa Sioux and fighters who never feared an enemy any more than a buffalo calf. The Yanktonais, meaning friendly Indians, were coffee coolers, cowards, and hung around the agency which was at Lincoln then, now called Fort Abraham Lincoln on the Upper Missouri. We used to have great times in the hostile camp, dancing, running races, shooting, and playing games. Buffalo and deer were plenty, and we had many ponies. I was a great fellow with the girls. They used to tease me to get mad. When I got mad, I knew no reason. I wanted to fight. One night a girl dared me to go up to Fort Lincoln and kill a white man. I told her it was too risky, as the longswords always kept watch. Besides, the Rees, which means the Arikarees, which were government scouts. The Rees had their lodges on the hill back of the fort. The woodchoppers were camped between the fort and the river. She said, A brave man fears nothing. If you are a coward, don't go. I'll ask some other young man who isn't afraid, if he hasn't danced in the sun dance. This was a torture dance in which Rain in the Face subsequently underwent the most horrible self-torture ever inflicted. The other girls laughed, but the young men who heard it didn't. They feared me. I would have killed them for laughing. I went to my lodge and painted Sapa, which was black, the color used when they go on the warpath. Took my gun, my bow, my pony. Sitting Bull had forbidden anyone to leave camp without his permission. I skipped off under cover of darkness and went up to Lincoln, which was 45 miles north, opposite the present site of Bismarck, North Dakota. I hung around for two days, watching for a chance to shoot a longsword. I had plenty of chances to kill a re-squaw, plenty to kill a woodchopper, but I wanted to carry back the brass buttons of a longsword to the girl who laughed at me. I did so, and she sewed them on her shawl. One morning I saw the sutler, meaning storekeeper, and a horse medicine man, U.S. veterinary surgeon Hansinger, go out to a spring. Long yellow hair, meaning Custer, and his men were riding back about a hundred yards. I rushed up and shot the sutler and brained the horse medicine man with my war club. Then I shot them full of arrows and cut off some buttons. Long Yellow Hair heard the shot and his troop charged back. I didn't have time to scalp the men I got. I jumped on my pony and yelled at them to catch me. They chased me to the Cannonball, which was a small river 25 miles south. Charlie Reynolds, a scout, knew me and told Long Yellow Hair who did this brave deed. Next winter I went to the agency store at Standing Rock. I drew no rations. I hadn't signed the paper. All the Indians who signed a peace treaty and consented to live on the reservation, under military orders, were furnished with rations by the government twice a month. The hostiles had to live by hunting. Istaksha, who was one-armed, the Honorable H.S. Parkin, was running the store then. I wasn't afraid of any of them. Little Hare, meaning Captain Tom Custer, 
"'had thirty longswords there. "'He slipped up behind me like a squaw "'when my back was turned. "'They all piled on me at once. "'They threw me in a sick wagon, "'which was an army ambulance, "'and held me down "'till they got me to the guard room at Lincoln. "'I was treated like a squaw, not a chief. "'They put me in a room, chained me, "'gave me only one blanket. "'The snow blew through the cracks "'and on to me all winter. "'It was cold. "'Once Little Hair let me out "'and the long swords told me to run.' I knew they wanted to shoot me in the back. I told Little Hare that I would get away sometime. I wasn't ready then. When I did, I would cut his heart out and eat it. I was chained to a white man. One night we got away. They fired at us, but we ran and hid on the bank of Hart River in the brush. The white man cut the chains with a knife. They caught him next day. I rejoined Sitting Bull and Gall. They were afraid to come and get me there. I sent Little Hare a picture. "'on a piece of buffalo skin of a bloody heart. "'He knew I didn't forget my vow. "'The next time I saw a little hare, I got his heart. "'I've said all.' "'An Indian-like, he stopped. "'We'll return with our story right after these sponsor messages. "'And now back to the personal story of Rain in the Face by W. Kent Thomas.' We all knew that the greater part of this was true, since it tallied with the government account of the death of the sutler and Surgeon Hansinger. But we wanted to hear how he took Tom Custer's heart. McFadden, who was quite an artist as well as an actor of note, had made an imaginary sketch of Custer's last charge. He got it and handed it to Rain, saying, Does this sketch look anything like the fight? Rain in the face studied it a long time, and then burst out laughing. No, he said, this picture is a lie. These long swords have swords. They never fought us with swords, but with guns and revolvers. These men are on ponies. They fought us on foot, and every fourth man held the other's horses. That's always their way of fighting. We tie ourselves onto our ponies and fight in a circle. These people are not dressed as we dress in a fight. They look like agency Indians. We strip naked and have ourselves and our ponies painted. This picture gives us bows and arrows. We were better armed than the longswords. Their guns wouldn't shoot but once. The thing wouldn't throw out the empty cartridge shells. In this, he was historically correct, as dozens of the guns were picked up on the battlefield by General Gibbon's command two days after, with the shells still sticking in them, showing that the ejector wouldn't work. When we found they could not shoot, we saved our bullets by knocking the longswords over with our war clubs. It was just like killing sheep. Some of them got on their knees and begged. We spared none. This picture is like all the white man's pictures of Indians. It's a lie. I will show you how it looked. Then turning it over, he pulled out a stump of lead pencil from his pouch and drew a large shape of a letter S turned sideways. Here, he said, is the little Bighorn River. We had our lodges along the banks in the shape of a bent bow. How many lodges did you have? asked Harry. Many, many times ten. We were like blades of grass. It was estimated that there were between four and six thousand Indians, "'hence there must have been at least a thousand lodges. "'Sitting Bull had made big medicine way up on a hill. "'He came in with it. "'He had it in a bag on a coop stick. "'He made a big speech and said that Wakantanka, the great spirit, "'had come to him riding on an eagle. "'Wakantanka had told him that the long swords were coming, "'but the Indians would wipe them off the face of the earth. "'His speech made our hearts glad. "'Next day our runners came in and told us the long swords were coming.' Sitting Bull had the squaws put up empty death lodges along the bend of the river to fool the re-scouts when they came up and looked down over the bluffs. 
"'The brush and the bend hit our lodges. "'Then Sitting Bull went away to make more medicine "'and didn't come back till the fight was over. "'Gall was the head chief. "'Crazy Horse led the Cheyenne. "'Goose led the Bannocks. "'I was not a head chief. "'My brother Iron Horn was. "'But I had a band of the worst Unkpapas. "'All of them had killed more enemies "'than they had fingers and toes. "'When the Long Swords came, "'we knew their ponies were tired out. "'We knew they were fooled by the Death Lodges.' They thought we were but a handful. We knew they'd made a mistake when they separated. Gall took most of the Indians up the river to come in between them and cut them off. When we saw the Reeves scouts had stayed back with Long Yellow Hair, we were glad. We saw them trotting along and let them come in over the bluffs. Some of our young men went up the gully which they had crossed and cut them off from behind. Then we showed our line in front and the long swords charged. They reeled under our fire and started to fall back. "'Our young men behind them opened fire. "'Then we saw some officers talking and pointing. "'Don't know who they were, for they all looked alike. "'I didn't see Long Yellowhair then or afterward. "'We heard the Rees singing their death song. "'They knew we had them. "'All dismounted, and every fourth man held the other's ponies. "'Then we closed around all of them. "'We rushed like a wave does at the sand right out there, "'meaning the ocean beach.' "'and shot the pony holders "'and stampeded their ponies "'by waving our blankets in their faces. "'Our squaws caught them, "'for they were tired out. "'I had sung the war song. "'I had smelt the powder smoke. "'My heart was bad. "'I was like one that has no mind. "'I rushed in and took their flag. "'My pony fell dead as I took it. "'I cut the thong that bound me. "'I jumped up and brained "'the long-sword flagman with my war club "'and ran back to our line with the flag.' The long sword's blood and brain splashed in my face. It felt hot, and blood ran in my mouth. I could taste it. I was mad. I got a fresh pony and rushed back, shooting, cutting, and slashing. This pony was shot, and I got another. This time I saw a little hair. I remembered my vow. I was crazy. I feared nothing. I knew nothing would hurt me, for I had my white weasel-tailed charm on. Note, he still wears the charm to this day. I don't know how many I killed trying to get at him. He knew me. I laughed at him and yelled at him. I saw his mouth move, but there was so much noise I couldn't hear his voice. He was afraid. When I got near enough, I shot him with my revolver. My gun was gone. I don't know where. I leaped for my pony and cut his heart out and bit a piece out of it and spit it in his face. I got back on my pony and rode off shaking it. I was satisfied and sick of fighting. I didn't scalp him. I didn't go back on the field after that. The squaws came up afterward and killed the wounded, cut their boot legs off for moccasin soles, and took their money, watches, and rings. They cut their fingers off to get them quicker. They hunted for long yellow hair to scalp him, but they couldn't find him. He didn't wear his fort clothes, his uniform. His hair had been cut off, and the Indians didn't know him. Note, this corroborates what Mrs. Custer says about having his hair cut at St. Paul some weeks before he was killed. That night we had a big feast and the scalp dance. Then Sitting Bull came up and made another speech. He said, I told you how it would be. I made great medicine. My medicine warmed your hearts and made you brave. He talked a long time. All the Indians gave him the credit of winning the fight because his medicine won it. But he wasn't in the fight. Gall got mad at Sitting Bull that night. Gall said, We did the fighting. You only made medicine. It would have been the same anyway. Their hearts were bad toward each other after that, always. After that fight, we could have killed all the others on the hill, 
meaning Reno's command, but for the quarrel between Gaul and City Bull. Both wanted to be head chief. Some of the Indians said Gaul was right and went with him. Some said Sitting Bull was. I didn't care. I was my own chief. I had my bad young man. We wouldn't obey either of them unless we wanted to, and they feared us. I was sick of fighting. I'd had enough. I wanted to dance. We heard more longswords were coming with wheel guns. We moved camp north. They followed many days till we crossed the line. I stayed over there till Sitting Bull came back, and I came back with him. That's all there is to tell. I never told it to white men before. When he had finished, I said to him, Rain, if you didn't kill Long Yellowhair, who did? I don't know. No one knows. It was like running in the dark. Well, asked Mac, why is it Long Yellowhair wasn't scalped when everyone else was? Did you consider him too brave to be scalped? No, no one is too brave to be scalped. That wouldn't make any difference. The squaws wondered afterward why they couldn't find him. He must have laid under some other dead bodies. I didn't know, till I heard it long afterward from the whites, that he wasn't scalped. How many Indians were killed in the fight? I don't remember, but about ten and four, or ten and six. How about Curly, the Crow Scout, who claims to have escaped? Asked Mac. Ah, I know Curly. He's a liar. He never was in the fight. His pony stumbled and broke something. He stayed behind to fix it. When he heard firing, he ran off like a whipped dog. One longsword escaped, though. His pony ran off with him and went past our lodges. They told me about it at Chicago. I saw the man there, and I remembered hearing the squaws tell about it after the fight. Rain in the face, Itio Magaju, is about sixty years of age now, and is the only chief that survived to tell the tale of the Custer fight. Gaul and Sitting Bull have both gone to hunt the white buffalo long since. Rain can write his name in English. I taught him how to do it at the World's Fair in order to sell Longfellow's poem entitled The Revenge of Rain in the Face. He doesn't know the significance of it after he writes it. His knowledge of English is confined to about 30 words, but he can't say them so that anyone can understand him, though he can understand almost anything that's said in English. Like all other Indians, his gratitude is for favors to come and not for favors already shown. He is utterly heartless and unprincipled, physically brave, but morally a coward. His redeeming feature lies in the fact that you can depend upon any promise he makes, but it takes a world of patience to get him to promise anything. Even at the age of 60, he is still a Hercules. In form and face, he is the most pronounced type of the ideal Fenimore Cooper dime novel Indian in America. Mr. Edward Esmond, a companion of Mr. Thomas during the season he had rain in the face and his fellows at the World's Fair in Chicago and afterward at Coney Island in his charge, gave me the information in this note. Note, rain in the face afterward drew a picture or map of the Battle of the Little Bighorn on the back of a handsome buckskin hunting shirt. A cut of this picture appears on the following page. It's believed to be the only map of the battle drawn by one of the Indian participants therein. Note, notwithstanding his White weasel tail charm. Rain in the face was wounded in this battle. A bullet pierced his right leg above the knee. Among the plunder which fell to him after the action was over was a razor taken from the person of some dead soldier. With this razor, the wounded man essayed some homemade surgery. First he cut deeply into the front of his leg, but failed to reach the bullet. Then he reached around to the back of his leg and chopped recklessly into the flesh from that quarter. He got the bullet, also several tendons, and narrowly missed cutting the artery and bleeding to death. 
"'He was lame and had to walk on crutches "'his whole life thereafter. "'Thanks for joining us today "'for 1001 Stories from the Old West. "'Hope you enjoyed this personal account. "'If you enjoyed this show, "'please do send us a review, "'especially you Apple listeners. "'For 1001 Stories from the Old West, "'we're brand new, "'and we would appreciate that very much. "'Also, please share with any friends "'that you know would enjoy this. "'We bring new episodes "'every other Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. "'Until then, everyone, stay safe.' 